This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. exciting is that? It's called School X, and it's all about helping you as a principal be a designer of your school and not just a manager. So I hope you'll check it out. You can download the free chapter at schoolx.me. So just go to schoolx.me to download the first free chapter. And once you get it, hit reply to the email and tell me what you think. Looking forward to sharing that with you. That's schoolx.me. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have James Anderson, who's a speaker and author and educator and expert in growth mindset and habits of mind and learning agility and all that stuff that we're going to get into. Um, you may remember a conversation that I had a few months ago with Ryan Gottfriedson. Ryan actually reached out to me after that podcast and said, you've got to talk to James as well. So I'm excited to have James here today. So James, welcome to Transformative Principle. Absolute pleasure, Jethro. It's uh, a lot of fun to be able to share some of these ideas with you and your audience. Yes, I am very excited also. I don't think I mentioned, but this is episode 351, so you can get the show notes uh, and the link to the the learner agency model. Learner agency? Yes, thank you, Um, that we're going to be talking a lot about um, at my website, jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 351. So I'll have a link to James's stuff there, so it'll be easy for you to get. And if you just click on the title in this podcast, it'll take you right there as well. So James, let's talk about this learner agency model um, and and what that looks like. And, you know, I know that other things tie into it. So you can start wherever you feel we need to, to get a good understanding of, of why we're talking about this today. Yeah, thanks, Jethro. Um, look, my background, first off, is as a teacher. And I came through schools and, you know, worked as a curriculum leader. And I got really, really interested in why some students are more effective at the learning process than others. 
I got uh, deeply into Art Costa and Bennett Kalick's work around habits of mind and uh, the sort of behaviours that students needed to engage in. I came across Carol Dweck's work and I've been a big advocate of her work for a while now about the understanding, the growth mindset that students bring to a learning situation. And I also got very passionate about um, Anders Ericsson's work. Now, some of your audience will know Anders Ericsson through the 10,000-hour rule um, and the idea of deliberate practice or purposeful practice. And what I discovered was that these elements of being an effective learner, when you bring them together, the idea that you're capable of growth, the growth mindset, the behaviours you need in order to achieve the growth, which is the habits of mind, and then that process you put it through, which is the work of Anders Ericsson, when you bring these three elements together, you you uh, create what I call an agile learner. And that's someone who not only understands that they're capable of growth, which is this growth mindset part, but also understands how to go about achieving the growth. And so this concept of an agile learner was one that brought, to, brought together these three big fields of research around what it means to actually achieve the growth in our life. So that, that, that's the sort of three big pieces of research that draws on that, that I draw on um, to bring this life to bring this work to life. Excuse me, as I stumble over my words. Um, and yeah, so that, that's the yeah. And you know, in episode three fifty of the podcast, I talked to Tirsa McQueen, who um, who's a unschooling mom, and she talked about this whole idea of learner agency and the agile learner if so eloquently you're going to love listening to that episode if you haven't heard already because she talked about how her kids when they were in school they were certainly capable of the growth but they didn't know how to go about achieving the growth and now that they are homeschooled and unschooled um, she's put the responsibility on them to be in charge of their learning and they have just blossomed tremendously in that. So I just think that that is such a fascinating coincidence that these two episodes are right next to each other because a lot of what we talked about in theory in the previous episode is now going to be talked about research-based and um, in this episode, which I'm I'm really excited about. So, so let's dive into this uh, learner agency model and what the agile learner looks like. So uh, going down the side, you go from non-learner to beginner learner to performance learner to directed learner to independent to agile. And can you explain those different um, phases that a learner goes through? Yeah, look, when you look at the growth mindset part, and I'll just sort of fill in some background here, essentially what a growth mindset is, is the un- how much you understand yourself as a learner. Someone with a fixed mindset doesn't see themselves as a learner. They think they have to discover their abilities. Someone with a growth mindset says, I can learn, I can change, I can develop. The next obvious question then to ask is if you understand that you're capable of the growth, is to ask, well, how do I get really good at achieving that growth? And what the learner agency matrix tries to describe is the way we change our behaviours to become better learners. I think in all parts of the world we have um, tombs of work are times of work around um, what it means to be a good teacher. The learner agency matrix describes what it looks like to be a good learner. And so what we've done is we've broken it down into these five different areas around the way a learner responds to challenge, the behaviours 
that they engage in, their habits of mind, how they gather information through mistakes and feedback, and how they distribute their time and energy. And this is this sort of effort piece. And I talk about how not all effort is equal, that it's not just time and energy that matters, it's how that time and energy is spent that matters. And so when you look at the way different types of learners engage in those five characteristics, we define these uh, six different types of learners that you've just named, the non-learner, beginning learner, performance learner, directed learner, independent and agile learner. Um, so the non-learner, the non-learner is someone who avoids a challenge. They would rather do nothing than something. Um, they're ignorant of their habits of mind. They've got no way to describe their learning behaviours. When it comes to getting information from mistakes and feedback, they ignore and disregard that and they waste their time. You know, they don't do anything at all. Now, I don't believe we've got a lot of non-learners in our schools, but I think we've got a lot of people that are just above this level, so we needed a baseline. Our beginning learners reduce their challenges. Now, as I go up, I'll go through each of these, and I'd like the listeners to start thinking about, you know, as I describe these learners, what percentage of their class, of their school, sort of falls into these different areas. Beginning learners reduce their challenge. If you offer them options A, B, and C, they'll say, can I do option D, please? They can describe their habits of mind, but they do it retrospectively. Having finished the activity, they'll say, oh, I had to work in a group and I had to stick at the task and be persistent. They recognise mistakes, acknowledge um, feedback, but they do it afterwards and they don't act on that. They just say, yep, that's wrong and thanks for telling me I didn't do it right. And they spend their time doing things. They're often busy, but they're not stretching or challenging themselves in any way. They stay very, very much in their comfort zone. Our performance learners are learning that. And I want to. Yeah, go on, jump in. Can, can we talk about yep. those first two for just a sec? Yeah. Um, I think that this is a, an interesting piece because there are things that we do at school that that encourage kids to act in in these two ways of a non-learner and a beginning learner. Um, you know, one of those things is we ask kids to describe their habits of mind after the fact, and we don't always do that in a way that it encourages them to to see how their habits of mind play into what they're doing or to help them develop their habits of mind. But we ask them kind of as like a as an afterthought, like, oh, yeah, mm. tell me about the habits of mind you used. And it may be that generic, you know. And so also like with grades, you know, grades are a great way to have kids acknowledge the feedback because, you know, if you get a, a, a paperback uh, from an English class and there's a, a grade up at the top, you're not going to look at any of the feedback that's in there because you were just working for that grade. And we've kind of set up the system to encourage some of those things. And we haven't really set up the system to encourage them to be, you know, above the line in, in their own learner agency. Yeah. And I, I think part of the reason for that is that um, we don't talk a lot about being a skillful learner. We actually have a lot of fixed mindset structures in our schools. And I talk a lot about this in another part of my work that um, seeks to find out what students can do 
rather than developing their abilities. And as you talked about, you know, being above the line there, for those of the your listeners that are following along with the image in front of them, will notice a distinct change as we go above that line. So shall I go on and uh, continue talking about this performance learner? Because I think we'll recognise a lot of those in our schools as well. Our performance learner um, limits their challenge. And when I say they limit their challenge, they limit it to their best. They love showing you what they can do. They love getting it right. But they'll resist going beyond their best, pushing themselves into their learning zone. They stay very much in what I call the performance zone, which is using all the skills and abilities they've got to produce their best, but they don't go beyond that. They can apply their habits of mind. And the difference here, talking about what you just brought up, is that this learner is the sort of learner who has performed at this level before, knows what's required to do it, and is happy to do it again. So they'll say, look, last time I did this, I had to behave this way. So this time, as I reproduce that same standard, I'll behave in the same way. So they can be predictive about their habits of mind, but they avoid mistakes. All right, they're trying to stay doing their best without stretching beyond to do better. And these students are the ones that select feedback. They love hearing about what they can do and what they can do well. But as soon as we start being constructive, as soon as we start being formative, they shut down. They don't want to listen to that sort of feedback. And they spend their time doing their best. And this is where we, we tip over the line. And the line is what Anders Ericsson would call the performance plateau. It's that level where we've exhausted our current abilities and we're trying to push beyond into our learning zone, which we, you might have heard called the zone of proximal development. Have you heard it called the zone of proximal development? Have you ever seen someone proximally develop? <laughs> yeah, we don't really know what that means. You know? yeah. it's, it sounds nice, but what does that actually look like? That's right. So I, it, it's exactly the same thing. I call it the learning zone because it seems to make much more sense because I don't see students proximally develop. I see them learn. Um, but the reason we learn, the reason we go beyond our current best, the directed learner will at least attempt a challenge. The directed learner is very compliant and will do what the teacher tells them to do. Now, they will extend their habits of mind. Now, you talked before about some of the structures and patterns and traditions we use in schools that might stifle learners becoming better at these things. The key here, and look, we could have a whole other series of episodes on habits of mind because it's my first great passion in education. Um, but over the last 20-odd years, working with lots and lots of schools around habits of mind, I can tell you the one key difference that will distinguish between a school or a teacher that is making a difference with habits of mind and the ones that are just, you know, labelling and using, and that's the difference between the word use, which is the word we talked about before, we ask students to use their habits of mind, tell us which ones they just used, and the word improve because we don't want students to use their habits of mind what we want them to do is to improve to develop to extend to build to mature and when we look at the habits of mind these things like persistence and striving for accuracy and thinking interdependently and thinking flexibly and all these things that Art Costa and Bennett Kalick describe when we look at these as behaviors that need to be developed and the teacher's role in developing those 
it changes the whole dynamic of what's going on. No longer are we asking students to do their best. We're asking them to do better than their best, to extend those habits of mind, to correct mistakes, respond to feedback, and spend their time actually producing the work that's being required of them. And one of the key characteristics of this directed learner is that the learning process is controlled by the teacher. And as we go up this, these above-the-line learners, the directed, independent and agile learners, will um, see the release of responsibility of the learning process, which is what you were talking about with your uh, homeschooler before. The independent learner is the learner who can target their own challenges. They can identify their learning zone on their own so no longer is the teacher required to be engaged, you know, controlling the learning process, but rather the um, student can take control of that themselves and say, this is what I'm trying to learn. They actively develop their habits of mind. They're able to say, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right set of behaviours to operate at this new higher level. How am I going to go and develop those behaviours? They use mistakes. So rather than just doing what the teacher says and correcting them, they actually go out and say, well, what does this mistake tell me? They'd look for that information. They go and request feedback. And I'm not talking about the performance learner who comes up to you and says, yeah, is this good enough? This is the learner that comes up and says, I don't understand this. I've been working on it for half an hour and I still don't get it. Can you help me, please? And they spend their time really pushing themselves to grow. Yeah. And they, they create something and then ask, how can this be better? Also, you know, yeah. they, they, they're not satisfied with just doing something, but they want it to be better than what they could originally do. And I think that key of asking kids to do more than their best, um, is, I mean, it's kind of backwards because we don't really ask them to do that. They're the ones who strive for that beyond what we ask them to do. Yeah. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. As we go up this level, I'm wondering where your listeners are thinking most of their learners are because, excuse me, what I've found in the schools I work with is that we've got a lot of learners that are sort of beginning performance and directed. But as we start getting further up this list, fewer and fewer learners. The agile learner at the top, this learner 
doesn't just target challenges, they embrace challenges. They know challenges are the one way to help them become better at whatever they do. So this is the learner who will say, look, I've got three options here. I'm going to pick the hardest one because that hard one is going to allow me to develop skills that I haven't got at the moment. So they deliberately go out and embrace those challenges. They cultivate their habits of mind. They understand that their learning behaviours, their habits of mind, are the the most important thing to them, that challenges will come and go, but those behaviours stay with them. So they're looking to find opportunities to cultivate all the development of all the habits of mind. They design mistakes. Now, we often hear about mistakes, and oh, can I just on a side note here, um, some of your audience will be, you know, growing out of the, you know, mistakes are bad and flipping into the mistakes are good thing. Can we just put a, you know, let's not do that. Uh, mistakes certainly aren't good. Yeah. <laughs> Some of our children are growing up to be pilots and surgeons and we don't want them thinking mistakes are good. Uh, what mistakes are, though, are, is a source of information. And we often hear the Edison example, you know, the 9,999 ways a light globe doesn't work. But Edison wasn't just making mistakes. Right? It wasn't just you know, the mistake that was important. He was a scientist and he was designing very specific mistakes. He was controlling a whole lot of variables and using the information that he got from that mistake to rule out a thousand other alternatives. So that's what we talk about when we design a mistake, controlling everything to get the most possible information. If you think about it this way, the independent learner conducts autopsies, the mistake has been made and they sit there and go, well, what does that tell me? The agile learner installs a black box recorder. They recognise that mistakes are going to be made and try to control things so they get the most information from it. And that's how they tailor their feedback. Sort of an independent learner will say, something's gone wrong, can you help me work this out? An agile learner will go, I'm working on this specific skill. Can you watch as I stuff this up? Because I need you to be able to tell me what I, the information I need to help me improve. So the, where the directed learner coming down a notch is um, reactive, reacting to the teacher, the independent learner is responsive. They respond to the uh, mistakes and the information around them. The agile learner is proactive and they spend their time deliberately growing. And one of the things I should point out here is that currently in education, we talk a lot about the need for resilience. And I'm sure we've all read things and how important resilience is. Of my three above the line learners there, I would describe the directed learner as resilient. And I think that is not the goal that we should be looking for. It is our baseline, our minimum. Well, I just I just want to jump in there and say that resilience is a natural part of life. And all too often in education, what I see us doing is attempting to create situations in which students can demonstrate their resilience when there's plenty of opportunity out there for kids to have resilience for them to show that they have resilience. We don't need to make stuff up for them to have it. What we need to do is help them know that, like you said, that's a baseline. That's where we start. 
you have to be able to deal with setbacks and disappointments and things not going your way. But it's about how you then uh, react after the fact and what you do later and how you seek out those opportunities. Um, You know, this is kind of a off the wall example, but I think that it pertains to what you're going to say, which is that um, a few years ago, my wife and I were feeling pretty happy about life and things were going good. And we decided that we wanted to start praying for challenges to happen in our life so that we could um, get better at dealing with difficult things in our life. And we wanted to have trials come to us. And um, it was my wife's idea, so I'm totally blaming it on her. <laughs> but it was it was such, for about two years, we were actively seeking opportunities to do more than just be resilient. Like resilient, like you said, is the baseline. We were trying to make ourselves even better and set ourselves up in situations to be successful despite the the world seemingly being stacked against us. And I couldn't have set you up better to describe that because what you just described was someone who is an agile learner and is someone who is what um, we call anti-fragile. And I mentioned before that the work I'm talking about here predominantly is um, Carol Dweck's work uh, um, around mindset, Art Costa and Better Calic's work around habits of mind and Ericsson's work around the process, the um, acquisition of excellence. But the part that this all leads to is what we've just talked about, which is being anti-fragile. Someone who's resilient, you, you read the literature around resilience and they talk about bounce back, you know, recovering and that sort of thing. Something that is anti-fragile, well, let's come back a step and I'll ask you a question. Um, what does the word fragile mean? Well, fragile means that it's easy to be broken. And so if we're talking about an, in a learning situation, it's it's where you don't get it on the first time and you say, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to try that anymore. Um, and you, it's easy to walk away from that feeling like you failed and that, you, that you're broken. That's right. And our beginning learners are actually fragile. And mm-hmm. if I asked you in your mind... What's the natural opposite to fragile? What, what comes to mind when I say the opposite of fragile? No, I'm thinking rigidity or yeah. um, like if it's, a, a, you know, if I'm thinking of like a glass, then that's fragile. But what's not fragile is, um, is like a bouncy ball. Like yeah. you throw it and the act of hitting the wall actually makes it um, – fulfill its purpose in bouncing around so like that impact is not only not breaking it but it's it's making it do the thing that it was designed to do yeah and most people when we when i ask that question they give the first answer you gave which is about you know strong and you know not breakable and the work i'm quoting here being Andy fragile is from a author hasim nicholas taleb and he says that most people say that most people say fragile Disturb it, breaks. Opposite to fragile, strong, robust, maybe um, resilient or you know, those sort of things like the bouncy ball that deform and come back. Nicholas Taleb would say that you've missed the point, that something that is anti-fragile benefits from the disturbance, that things that are fragile, you wrap them in bubble wrap that says, be careful, you know, don't drop me. 
But things that are anti-fragile, you'd wrap them in plastic that says, drop me, it helps. And the example he gives is a hedge. If you put a hedge in the ground and just let it grow, it turns into a sort of sticky little thing that's not very healthy. But if you come along every season and just trim the tips, not the base, but just give it a little disturbance, it actually uh, thrives and flourishes in that environment. And that's exactly what you talked about a moment ago, that what you went out and actually sought out were challenges. You sought out challenges to help you grow. You knew you weren't going to be able to automatically overcome them, but you understood there was a process you could go through in order to use those challenges to help you become better than you were yesterday. And that's exactly what an agile learner does. And they go out and embrace challenges for the opportunity it gives them to cultivate their habits of mind. They use those challenges to seek the information they need to grow. And as a result, they spend their time growing and developing. Now, if the world was stable, all right, my first father-in-law um, spent his entire working life in one organisation. How many of the students in our schools today do you reckon are going to spend their life in one organisation? I, ca- I can't even imagine. Very, very few. Any, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but if that was it, if the world was stable enough that uh, we could tell them at 18 years old you've got everything you need to know to go and do your job for the rest of your life, we'd only need to produce directed learners in our schools. If the world was evolving, if it was slow moving and we could adjust and readjust our goals as things occurred, independent learners would do the job. They could say, look, I'm heading here, but, oh, look, things have changed. I'll adjust my goal and go in that direction instead. But that's not the world we've got. We've been saying for most of this century that this century is going to be more changeable. We talk about, talk about it being a VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, changeable and ambiguous world that is changing more rapidly than ever before. And so what we need to produce in our schools are students who not just understand they're capable of growth, but understand how to go about achieving it and actually seek out the opportunities that will allow that growth to take place because they're the ones that will thrive in this rapidly changing world. And we hear a lot, and I'll throw back to you after this, we hear a lot in the literature about um, post-traumatic stress and these sorts of conditions. There is a growing body of literature now around post-traumatic growth. And it turns out the situation itself, the divorce, the war situation, the redundancy, whatever it might be, it might not be pleasant, don't get me wrong. You don't necessarily want to endure it. But what matters is not the situation. The situation is neutral. It's our response to it. If our learners are below-the-line learners, they'll find themselves in those challenging situations, the sort of situations you went and seeked out, and they'll go, this is not what I'm used to. Can I do this? The answer will be no, and as a result, they'll break because they won't have the skills and abilities to survive in that changed environment. But if their learners are agile learners, if we've taught them how to embrace challenges, what will happen is that all these little challenges will come along, like the experiences you described. You'll grow a little bit, you'll grow a little bit, you'll grow a little bit, you'll grow a little bit. And every time you grow, 
what happens is the world just opens up to you because you get smarter and smarter, better and better, and more and more able to deal with increasingly complex, volatile, uncertain, changeable situations. The world needs agile learners today. Simply producing learners that do what they're told or that can even you know, be self-directed isn't enough. They have to be these agile learners that become anti-fragile. Uh, the reason why I was so excited to talk to you about this is that it, it redefines how we see kids and their experience in school. And so if you are creating a school where kids can be agile learners, then you're doing them a great service. So, you know, after my wife and I um, started praying for those challenges to come and 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 experiencing some major challenges over the past few years. So, for example, 2019 was the worst year of our lives. It was horrible. My daughter had um, two surgeries. I had two surgeries. Another daughter was in the hospital. There were challenges at work. All these things were so difficult. And and now here we are in 2020. Now there's a coronavirus and turmoil throughout the world, civil unrest, all these kinds of things going on. And my wife and I feel so calm and peaceful about it because we've already had our trials and our struggles. And this is still hard. But what we've learned through those challenging things is that we can survive it and 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 we can and that's that's the thing that this really comes down to is it's not just about being an agile learner in school between the hours of 8 and 3 it is about this is a lifestyle this is a way for you to live your life it's not enough to to be an agile learner at school and then come home and be a non-learner that just isn't going to work and so that's what I love about this approach is that it helps you see there are different stages that kids are at in their in their pathway to becoming agile learners. And there are some things where, yeah, um, I definitely want to be a beginning learner in certain areas of my life. And I want to reduce the challenges that I have, especially when I have control over those things. But I want to embrace the challenges that come to me that are going to help me be better and do better because those are the areas of my life where I really do want to grow and learn and become better. And like you said, it's not easy, but it's definitely worthwhile and it's what we need. And so because of those challenges, um, I started uh, my own consulting business, went out on my own in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, who does that? <laughs> but, you know, that's that's what I'm doing. And, and so far I'm really grateful that I'm doing it. And yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, but I, I feel like it's the right thing to do and I feel like it's the right time to do it. And, um, and I have faith that my efforts are going to, to lead to good things in the end, even if that doesn't mean that I'm a millionaire, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm going to use to measure how successful I was. Uh, absolutely. And can I suggest too, you know, I think your story about the way you took on challenges and how it's prepared you for this unexpected challenge, this is exactly what Nicholas Taleb talks about. He talks about black swan events, these highly impactful but um, high, very rare events that you, you can't predict but you can prepare for it. 
Taleb, I love the quote. He says, you cannot predict the future, but you can prepare for it. And the way you prepare for it is by doing exactly what you were doing, by taking on those little challenges, learning how to behave in more and more intelligent ways, developing those habits of mind, um, getting good at getting the information from mistakes and feedback. And then you find yourself when bigger challenges come along, you're actually prepared for it. And the reason I love Taleb's work in the same way as I love Dweck's and Ericsson's and Costa and Calix is that they're not good ideas. They didn't sit down and none of them sat down one day and said, oh, I wonder what would happen if. What they did is they went out and observed people like you, Jethro, people who have gone out and embraced challenges, people who realise that I'm not capable of doing this, but can I become the person who is, and described what it takes to become a successful person. All four of them observed things in the real world, and that's what I love. And that's, that's why I think this work has such power and such um, authenticity about it because it's not made up. It's made, sorry, it's described from observations of the human condition. And I'll just finish off because I know we must be running close to time. The learner agency matrix is, you know, I, I think, beautiful and I think you've described it that way as well. But the real power for this, for your audience, is not in the words they've got sitting in front of them, not in the description of these six sorts of learners. The responsibility that we have as school leaders and educators is to look to the white space in between, is to ask ourselves, what do we do in our schools and in our classrooms, in our interactions with our students, to help that performance learner become a directed learner? to shift that directed learner and show them how to take charge of the learning process and become independent learners and how we help those independent learners grow even further and become agile learners. Because I guarantee you it will not work if you stick this poster on the wall and say, kids, I want you all to embrace challenges, cultivate your habits of mind, design mistakes, tailor feedback and spend your time growing because that'll help you out the rest of your life. It just doesn't work like that. We have a role as educators to teach students how to become increasingly skillful learners. And there is a, another whole body of work behind that that I'd love to share with you one day, but probably not today because it'll take us three or four days. So let's make it real practical, though. What is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader and inspire his students to become agile learners? <sighs> Look, those questions, yeah, what's one thing you can do to you know, transform? I don't think transformation happens quickly. Uh, I think you can be inspirational, and I think that's what we try to do in these you know, short grabs. We try to inspire people to understand the, the key messages. But to transform this um, takes time, it takes planning, it takes resources and all the rest of it. The one thing I suppose I'd ask your um, principals to think about is um, what are they currently doing in this white space? What is it that we're doing in our schools, in our structures, in our policies, in our pedagogy that is deliberately focused on helping students become better learners? Share this with your staff. Um, talk about where do you see most of your learners most of the time? And then start asking that question, 
what can we do to teach these students to be better learners? We're very focused on improving our own craft, becoming more skillful teachers, but we don't get great learning outcomes until skillful teaching is matched with skillful learning. Yeah, that was good. Um, I think that's that's really powerful. So uh, if people want to learn more about you, uh, they can go to uh, jamesanderson.com.au yep. and uh, learn from you there, take your courses. Um, you've got a lot of uh, stuff um, available for, for school leaders there. And James, I just want to say thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. It's been awesome talking with you again. Yeah, thanks, Jethro. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, if the opportunity comes up again, I'd love to share more of this with your audience as well. Yeah, I think we should definitely plan on it. So thank you very much. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.